Hello, and welcome back to the RKV Podcast. I'm your captain, Noah Blanchard, and I am here to once again take us on a little trip back in time. We're going back five years ago to a feed that has been long dead called the Movie Arc. Hopefully some of you are still familiar with it, but we're going to be revisiting a review of Ari Aster's Midsommar five years later. Why are we doing that? Because his latest, Bo is Afraid, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Amy Ryan, Nathan Lane, uh, and many others, drops this weekend in limited release. It starts to, it's been in limited release, rather, excuse me, it starts to expand, and I will be feasting my eyes on it. Uh, it is my most anticipated movie of 2023, and it has been billed as quite the departure for Mr. Ari Aster, and has been pitched as a nightmare comedy. Uh, but of course, if you've keyed into his particular sensibility, you might have found the previous two movies, Hereditary and Midsommar, rather humorous. Uh, I don't know that, uh, Mayfield and I had quite keyed into the comedy when we recorded this episode. We were, uh, very much in the thick of it, and, uh, again, this was only his second film. We were kind of knocked out by it, and kind of flabbergasted so uh yeah this is us feeling our way through our feelings uh it's very uh plot heavy and uh very moment to moment i think we pretty much take you through the entire journey there so if you have never seen Midsommar, uh do it watch it right now i think it's still streaming on amazon prime uh, or rentable elsewhere uh and get excited for Bo is afraid hopefully uh i know i am i've also got some other big releases this weekend uh evil dead rise if you're looking or out-and-out horror, straight-up horror. I'll be catching that as well, and uh, maybe we'll have somebody on to talk about it with me soon. I certainly hope so. But for now, uh, we're going to dip back in time to this retro review of Midsommar, and join us next week as we hop back on the road to Reckoning. Hello, and welcome to the Movie Arc, brought to you by the Arc of E! Network. My name is Noah, and once again, uh, I, have a, I have a special guest. Uh, I, I'm hoping this is going to become a regular thing. I am back once again with uh, the man, one, one half of uh, one of the most successful shows on this here network, Mr. Sunshine Mayfield, co-host of Bending Not Breaking. Say hello, Mayfield. Hello! It's good to be on uh, the movie arc this time. Yes, uh, hopefully people, you know, travel across the feeds with us. Uh, Sunshine recently joined me on the TV arc feed, where we talked about Too Old to Die Young. Uh, I've seen a handful of people listening, and uh, uh, you actually just read me some some Reddit feedback, which we I've never gotten before. And uh, yeah, somebody hates my voice. First, <laughs> ne- f- first time I'm- I've heard that. I love so, your voice, Noah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take great. it in stride. I'm gonna take it in stride. And uh, may, may, I don't know. Maybe we let you drive this episode. Maybe you, maybe you take over for a bit. I think that's a terrible idea. I think maybe I you play should the hold guess. down. You should hold down the fort. Your voice is wonderful. Okay. Don't let the people get you down. Okay. <laughs> You'll Shout be out fine. <laughs> to that guy. 
that guy on Reddit. Okay, why are we here? Uh, we are here to discuss uh, a little a little movie, uh, quite a long movie, that just came out recently. Hopefully some of you have seen it. Uh, we, we put out the word on Instagram literally moments before recording this episode that if you had any uh, questions or comments, concerns, etc., to let us know. So we'll check in on that a little later, but we're, we're talking about Midsummer or Midsummer or however you want to say it. How do you say it, buddy? Midsomar. Hit the, hit, gotta hit the R. Yeah, you really gotta throw Skull. the emphasis. School. I like to yeah. uh, uh, emphasize the wrong syllable. Syllable, yeah. Put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Correct. Uh, never actually saw that movie, but that, that line from that trailer has always stuck with me. <laughs> what What is that? Is that a uh, view from the top with Gwyneth Paltrow and I think. Mike Myers? <laughs> yes, I think you're you right. Want, you want to review that instead? No. No, I do not. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, we are, yeah, we are we're talking fine about, doing what we're currently doing. We are talking about Midsommar, the latest from one Mr. Ari Aster. Uh, some people might be familiar with Hereditary, uh, which made made quite the splash. What? Last? Was that last, last year? year it was last year. It's so crazy that he has another... When... When did Hereditary hit? Like February, March? April, I think, of last year. Okay, um, and interesting. So just a little bit over a year, but I, Hereditary always makes me chuckle because um, it was one of my favorite movies of last year. I, yeah, I think I, you had it. Where uh, did number, it come out on number your one? Top 10? It was that my was number one, one yes. movie of last year. Um, and specifically, I, I started dating a girl who I'm still currently dating, but I started dating her uh, last year around the time Hereditary came out. Um, mm-hmm. And I met her parents right as it was coming out on um, on VOD. And so her gotcha. parents were like, what's your favorite movie of the year? Because they know that I like movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, uh, it's hereditary. And they're like, great, let's watch it. I was like, that's a terrible idea. We should not do that in this moment. Like, We should not watch this movie. And they were like, no, no, no. Like, We like interesting movies. Like, This will be good. And I was like, I, I think you're underestimating how weird it actually is. Right, um, and they were just like, "No, no, no! Like, let's totally watch it." And then, as we go on, things happen throughout the course of hereditary, hereditary, of course. And they're like, "That was weird. Is that the weirdest thing?" And I was like, uh, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, the next thing would happen, like the next big turn, and they'd be like, "That was weird. Is that the weirdest thing?" And I'd just be like, "And you're like, there's 45 minutes nope. of this movie left." <laughs> like, <laughs> well, those know. questions happen Hold when on. there was like an hour thirty in those. <laughs> In the yes, movie of left. course. And so it was just like, at a certain point, they were just like, on the percentage of how weird does it get, where are we at? And like, we're like, there's 20 minutes in the movie left, and I'm still like, mm, 50%. <laughs> yeah, it's it's still uh, got a ways to go, for and sure. And then after that movie, they just all kind of stared at me, and I was like, I just want to go on record again and say that like I said that this was a yes, terrible uh, <laughs> idea, and this <laughs> is not the way that I wanted you to get to know me. <laughs> so yeah. So, okay, I just recently recommended it to my mom. I don't know how she missed it because I figured if she saw a trailer and, like, on that alone, she would have been on board. And I know I mentioned it to her, but somehow it had escaped her. So just recently when I was talking to her on the phone and I had just seen Midsommar, uh, I was like, Mom, it's on Prime. Like, you need to go watch Hereditary. I was like, but be prepared because I do think you will love it, but it it's heavy. Like... It, it's very heavy, so make sure you're ready for that. And I haven't heard back from her yet. So uh, 
we'll, she's we'll actually not talking to you. She's refusing to talk, take Possibly. a call and talk to you. I haven't heard. I haven't heard from her since. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, um, so I remember. I mean, I think I had Hereditary in my top eight ish. I forget where it where it landed, but it did make my list. If I'm not mistaken, I'd have to go back and listen to that episode. Uh, but I know you liked it. I would say a little, you were a little more head over heels for it than I was. So your excitement level going into this one, I think was maybe even higher than mine. But when we first were revealed daytime, daytime horror movie, wicker man vibes, I like keyed into this one so early, like the first teaser trailer, I was like, okay, I am so there for this. 100%. So, what, where do you, before we get into the movie itself, how, how do you think he's doing? Do you think this is a vast improvement? Because we're both sitting here huge fans of his first proper feature, but a lot of people have issues with that last 20 minutes. A lot of people have issues with the last hour. A lot of people have issues with the fact that it's kind of three different horror movies all in one. And some people feel like it kind of goes off the rails. Some people might feel the same way about this movie. Uh, but where do you where do you sit with that right now? And uh, you've had a little bit longer to sit and digest this. I saw it two nights ago. Uh, you saw it, what, like opening weekend, correct? I saw it opening weekend, yes. absolutely. Yeah. So uh, ha- how is it sitting with you in relation to Hereditary? It's kind of, I guess, where I want to start. So as I saw, when the, as I saw it, um, well, e- even seeing the promos for it kind of scared uh, scared me, got me worried. Uh, I saw this promoted way more than almost anything that A twenty four has done on my social media feeds. Mm-hmm. Like I was constantly getting, you know, Midsummer, this movie, check it out, and that actually kind of concerned me because I was like, why are they pushing it? so hard is it that it's really good or is it they just really need people to go see it before the word gets out um mm-hmm. and hope that it makes its money prior to the you know reviews coming out behind it right um and so that kind of concerned me but walking out of the theater i think i liked it a little bit less than hereditary but then weirdly enough sitting on it for like a week and a half has i think i'm more into it than I was hereditary. Yes. Um, Having not even rewatched it, uh, that's, that's how I'm sitting right now. I think it is a superior film in a lot of ways for me, which surprised the hell out of me because hereditary kind of knocked me, you know, knocked me out in a certain way and hadn't really seen anything like that in quite a while and still incredibly unique unto itself. But the, the vibes that it was tapping into in the movies that it was referencing were right in my wheelhouse. And it's the kind of stuff that I want to see more explored in horror movies. I don't really like the big commercial trend of kind of being stuck in the supernatural and ghost stories. And I think supernatural elements um, are fantastic and can be integrated very well as, as you see, he does, uh, but they can be used for different purposes and that, yeah, that totally plays for me. For Ari Aster, the hyperbolic settings are just vehicles for what are the the relationships. And the horror truly comes from the bonds between the people throughout 
the movie. Like that's the terrifying thing to me is that in Hereditary, it, it wasn't just that all the stuff was going on. It's that like your mom is slowly, you know, losing it, and mm-hmm. it's the relationships like the struggle between the the father and uh, the mother, and then the relationships and the way that she treats her son throughout the course of it. To me, like that's the horrifying part of it, and it all is just kind of comes together when you see it through like the horror elements that you think of when you think of horror elements. And so you take those uncomfortable scenes and uncomfortable moments and then you amplify it by giving us like, oh, she's crawling on the ceiling. Or in this movie, like, oh, that's a dude wearing another dude's face. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. So, that, like, I actually, I have a key question about that scene that I, I saved for this. So we'll, we will get there eventually. Um, where uh where do you want to where do you want to start I, I think transitioning off of hereditary uh which is very very much based around a key emotion which is grief and i think that continues on into midsummer but absolutely the the shift of lens and perspective is very key here as you mentioned hereditary is centered around the family and kind of what grief does to this family, how it just essentially devours it. Okay. Here we're focused on a relationship specifically. Yeah, very much so. In in the wake of grief. And then it also brings in elements of um, mental illness, how we deal with people when they are going through a heightened state of emotional trauma, uh, how how empathetic we actually uh can be versus like you know how we may see ourselves as super empathetic but when it comes right down to it and we need to be there for somebody are we able to actually do that uh and i think that is something that hits me a little bit more because i i have a pretty like rock solid family unit like we all get along (laughs) there's not these buried generational secrets i don't think we have any you know pagan worshiping uh payman worshiping rather uh cult members in our family that i'm aware of now gavin just tries to make you watch den of thieves every now and then but that's about the worst of yeah yeah that's not you know (laughs) it's not too bad uh still haven't done it by the way but uh yeah okay (laughs) no one has no one has watched that movie Apparently it's on HBO Go right now. I, I do not no, still haven't still haven't done it. Okay, <laughs> uh, but I feel like I connected with this one a little bit more because I feel like anybody who's been in a struggling relationship at any point, uh, that's why you, this was a date movie for you, correct? Yeah. It, yes. Me and yes. Uh, my significant other, we went. And uh, we watched it, and at the end of it, she did not talk to me for 45 minutes. Uh, uh, she was silent for 45 minutes sounds, after leaving the theater. That sounds about right. That sounds fair. Uh, yeah, that sounds like you what, got off light, if anything. Well, and so, yes, and so, and we'll get into the plot, but she's she's really close with her family, so there's moments in this movie that hit her really hard because of that. Um, I think for, for us, you know, going and seeing it together and seeing the outcome of this movie... Um, I think was hard for her because you know, she cares about our relationship and as do I. And um, I think it hit her a little bit harder. I was kind of being able to detach it a little bit more, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was for her. It was like I need to process this for forty five minutes before I even say a word. <laughs> she was um, like, at the first word she said was like, I didn't like it, and it wasn't. I don't think that she didn't like the movie. I think she didn't like how it made her feel. How it made her feel, and the um, the note that it left her on, maybe. Correct, and because I think at, at the end of the day, you kind of sit there and say, "Yeah, I think you felt the movie the exact way that it was meant to be felt." Well, and um, I I do think that in and of itself is maybe debatable because there's there's some people who might look at this ending and see it as kind of a a fuck yeah moment, uh, like cathartic hurrah kind of moment. Um, oh, for sure. And I I think the fact that you can go even more different interpretations. Uh, you can go so many different ways with it. I, well, and I think for I me, think that's, that's always how key. I've kind of classified, like, is a movie good, right? And so, like, if a movie makes you feel something the way that it made her feel, like, I don't. that's a good movie. It's successful like, it's, regardless. It's successful yeah, I mean, regardless. That's, that's all you can really ask for is, I mean, you, you don't want to go into anything, especially something you're putting two and a half hours plus of time into. You, I don't think you want to come out of it feeling kind of indifferent towards it you want to have a an extreme reaction one way or the other and yeah, uh and people, in, people in my theater definitely had some extreme reactions uh sorry didn't mean to cut you off no no and i will say this that like uh i told her there's a three-hour director's cut coming out that i want to watch and she has said that she is down to watch it so um clearly she didn't hate it that much yes um but yeah when i left it i was i was sitting at probably an eight or a nine and then again, it just, it didn't leave me. Like I just, after w- w- days, I was, st- it was still on my mind. And there, so it was one of those things yeah. where I was just kind of like, yeah, it, this is better than I initially thought. Like it just sat with me for a very long time. There is some imagery in here that I uh, don't think I'll be forgetting anytime soon. Uh, just, absolutely not. Yes. Yeah, and and lots not. of it too. Lots of it. So uh, maybe we should just run through the plot briefly. Uh, presuming that you've, you know, you've seen it by the time we're getting here. But if you haven't, uh, we loved it. Go check it out. Uh, we're going to run down the plot and then we're going to get into just spoilers and going wherever we want with it. So, uh, that's your, your fair warning. Uh, but go see it in a theater, go see it with an audience. Uh, I think it's, I think it's going to have a little bit of legs. It didn't open huge, but I, I think it's going to have interesting word of mouth, uh, and there's still a lot of conversation and a lot of think pieces going on right now. Uh, so film Twitter, the, the internet at large, uh, seems like they've embraced it to a certain extent. So we'll, we'll see how far that extends. What is Midsommar about, Sunshine? Yeah, a quick, uh, quick little overview. So you get uh, this girl, Danny, who's in a relationship with Christian, but she always calls it Christian. Um, is how she pronounces his name throughout the movie, but Christian is her boyfriend. Um, she gets a super weird message from her sister that says, like, times are dark, and I'm going, and mom and dad are coming too. Mm-hmm. And so she's super worried. Christian kind of uh, tell, blows her off, kind of says, she always does this. She's got bipolar. She's using you. Um, and then we find out that, nope, she was being pretty serious, and we get a really um, just well-shot scene um, that shows that one of the most haunting things I've seen in recent oh, memory. A- absolutely, it, it fades from the car exhaust with a hose attached to it, follows the hose through the house into the parents' bedroom, um, and then follows continues to go, and you see her sister with the hose attached to her mouth, and and everyone is dead. Um, and then Danny's inconsolable and crying, and we get more shots of that, and then finally we get this 
they're going to go on a festival. Christian and his friends are going to a festival, but it's it's meant to be academic um, as they're writing their thesis um, for what I can only imagine is probably graduate school. Yes, they're in an interesting, uh, like, definitely these are not, like, fresh college students, which is kind of your go-to in a lot of, like, a lot of movies with similar premises. Uh, so even that sets it a little off-key uh, from the get-go. But yes. These are well-versed, intelligent graduate students who are going to this festival to study and research and experience it. And then as we go through the movie, we realize that things just aren't right and um, death and destruction and everything else kind of ensues. Um, yes. Up until our final finale. Things get our, our finale. weird. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. Yes. Uh, uh, if, so if, before we even get to the actual, you know, the reveal of the trauma and what she's going through, the murder-suicide of her parents and sister. Uh, we already know that the relationship is a bit strained. We're introduced to, like, the, you know, the guy conversation. They're out to dinner, and, like, you know, you've been wanting to break up with her, blah, blah, blah. We have all of that. And kind of reluctantly, he invites her along. Uh, after a scene that I was like, this is perfectly written and perfectly acted because this feels like the realest conversation I've ever seen <laughs> of, hey, it was just, you know, I thought you were going to invite me. And just the, well, I was going to and the, the back and forth of like making each other feel guilty, but then like, oh, no, I don't want you to feel bad about it. But really, you do want the person to feel bad about it. And yeah. all of those subtle just like back and forth, like semi-gaslighting elements and everything and he he makes her apologize basically for being upset about it which is a little ridiculous because it's like dude like you did why didn't you even say anything you didn't even tell me you were going and so yeah, and he, i think that's yes i think that's one of the the best things about ari aster is he is really solid of writing this dialogue in these uh again hyperbolic settings um, that feel very real and relatable. And everyone in that theater should have been able to say, I've had that conversation before. Yes, or a, or ver a version it. of it, yeah, or the core, it. the core emotional tone of that scene I've experienced before. I guess he manages to tap into that very wonderfully, in my opinion, throughout this movie as well. So we already know the relationship is strained going into this, and she's dealing with all of her current emotional baggage of course uh and we, we, you, you know it's not a good idea or at least that's the way i was feeling about it from the get-go they get there before they even get on the actual property itself they take mushrooms which again she reluctantly does because she doesn't want to be a party pooper uh does not does not go that well uh but the second that that starts, the, the movie as a whole, I mean, it has already kind of gut-punched you emotionally, but now it's putting you in this weird, weird headspace of, like, we're going into a new place, it's a little disorienting, there's all of these new characters, uh, there's there's subtitles now, there's other stuff going on, and we're, we're very much in her headspace and their headspace, because they're all, they're all freaking out a little bit uh, before they get there. Why isn't it getting dark? That's what Sweden looks like at this time of the night. Yes. You know, they're all laughing at me. Um, yeah. Which, and like, I've, 
that is not an experience that I've had. And so, like, I don't know how, how realistic that feels or is. From, as some, from a lot as of the reviews I have read, it people who have gone on record are like, I, I think it's one of the more accurate portrayals of what that feels like and what it, I guess, looks like to a certain extent. Because we start to get our first little early visual flourishes here. Uh, which only get more and more intense. And by the time you get to the end of this movie, my God, uh, just some astounding stuff. Well, and that's the kind of subtle nature of this too, is that like at this point, you're starting to stay in this trance for the entirety of the film because as you're experiencing it with these characters, they the first thing they do when they get there is, is take a shot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're inhaling smoke that's supposed to be for, you know, serve a good purpose or be welcoming and, they are constantly put in the state of like, no, be just a little bit buzzed. Be just like, literally just don't feel this as much as you normally would. Um, and yes. it's a very intentional move by this cult. Um, but you really don't put that together till the end. You're just like, yeah, it's a festival. Of course they take a shot when they get there. Um, or they, you know, might do some shrooms when they get there. But it, this is constant state of like, um, even when they're sleeping, needing to take sleeping pills to, to be able to sleep in this massive house that, um, it's just a room with 36 people going to sleep at the same time. So, yeah. Um, in, in our lead up to this too, is just some gorgeous cinematography of them driving out there, um, in the first place. And then once we actually get onto the, the set proper, which apparently they completely built from scratch and you realize that it's now constructed in such a way where they can do these long, continuous, extremely well choreographed sequences, um, that just have an airy, floaty quality to them. Like you, from the second you enter, um, what what is the place called? Um, I don't know. It's with a G. Swedish Swedish for- cult festival. <laughs> yes, it's Midsummer. That's what the second it's Midsummer. They, yes, at the Swedish cultish festival. The second they get there, it is already hitting like a a fever dream level, and it manages for me at least to sustain that for the next two hours, pretty much. Uh, and then it starts to bleed into nightmare territory, of course, uh, which is kind of where you begin the movie, oddly enough. So, everything's a little off-kilter, but they're they're enjoying it. She's trying to hang and have a good time. Um, nothing's, nothing's particularly off, really, until we get to the first giant set piece, would you say? Or is there anything you kind of want to hit up front before we, we get to that? Um, I would say, uh, with a couple things that happened at the beginning of the movie is they show you that m- mural from the get go. Um, um, that's, yes, I, for, I forget mural. that we, we open with a mural as well mm-hmm. that we, and we open you, frame on essentially. Yeah. And if you are familiar with Ari Aster's short films, he, uh, and I'm going to butcher this title, uh, cause it's a German word and I don't know German. Um, Munchausen is a short that he Munchausen. did in 2013. Yeah. Munchausen um, by proxy. Yes. And um, and it 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 also has a cross stitch mural at the very beginning, or at least the title card is this cross stitch mural from that, which is uh, which was very similar to what you see in in Midsummer. Um, but if you are paying attention to that cross stitch, uh, it is giving you the entire story yes. before you see it, a hundred percent of the way. You get um, you get a fool's cap on on Mark. Uh, you see her parents as angels. Um, you see all the elements kind of going through the movie are on that mural if you're paying attention. And then that also reflects to later when they get into the main house 
that everyone's sleeping in. And um, every inch of it of, is covered in in that type of and, artwork. Yes. Yep. And and again, if you're paying attention, you see moments of the movie happening before they actually take place, which is just shows his attention to detail as he's kind of going through uh, and creating all of this. But yeah, worth mentioning the mural. And if you haven't seen it and you're still listening and clearly you don't care about spoilers, but um, that mural tells you everything. Yes, pretty much. So uh, do we want to move into the uh, the sacrifice? The stopping the, the first sacrifice. Yeah, that's a that's a moment. That's a thing. Yes, uh, this is where. Re- I mean, it is probably worth noting that there are other people that have been brought to this festival from other members of the. Yes, village, as so. soon as we get there, we do huh. see that they're not the only outsiders. Which again, they were brought in by Pell. Is that correct? Who's Pell is just the name a of fellow, their friend, correct? Yeah, a fellow grad student, presumably, and he does mention, you know, I'm on. What's essentially like a uh, like Rumspringa, uh, yeah, in the Amish community, where of a certain age they they go out and they're allowed to experience the world outside of their traditions and ways and blah blah blah. But they, with the intent of returning, and part of returning apparently is bringing other people to expose them to the culture. I'm putting that in giant quotations, but people can't see that because it's a podcast. So, uh, but they get, even mention because you get voices of them talking about like how you know. At a certain point, this would be incestuous. How do you reproduce? And, like, they talk about, like, bringing yes, people in. Yes, pretty, and... pretty much all the questions that you're hopefully having as an audience as you're watching this kind of get covered, and it's done in a way that doesn't feel, like, half-assed, mainly because you have the hook of, like, these are, you know, these are grad students. They're tr- they're approaching this from an anthropological exp- perspective, and so it's natural for them to be asking these questions, talking to each other about, like, what do you think this means? You know, oh, are they similar to this group or that group? Uh, so all of that is laid out very well. And I feel like he does a great job throughout the movie of telling us a lot about how the ins and outs work, but leaving those answers at the same time still kind of vague enough that there's there's a lot of mystery there still. Uh, it's it's like and those so, questions that you asked your parents or your parents would be like, are you going to a, are you going out tonight? And you're like, yes. And they're like, are you going to a party? And you're like, I am going to a party. Mm-hmm. Um, but you forget to tell them that like all the, the things that they don't want to be at that party are there. And right. are their parents going to be there? Yes, their parents are going to be there. <laughs> um, but just three stories up and not paying attention to what's going on in the basement. But yeah, their parents will be there. Like very yeah. much in that aspect of the way that you tried to finagle around your parents um, mm-hmm. when trying to sneak out for the night. Yeah. Okay. So we, we get to this kind of centerpiece sequence where some of the elders of the group who we've been earlier introduced to as the, the people who occupy this uh, triangular shaped yellow building. Uh, which is offset from kind of the rest of the campsite. And we're told very early, like, oh, that's a sacred place. Uh, you're not allowed in there, essentially, to our, our group that has come in. They're not allowed. But we see these elders emerge from there. They kind of start the eating festivities. And then at the end of this meal, uh, or no, at the beginning, rather, excuse me, we see them take a drink that is decidedly different looking than everybody else's drink. And... We've kind of pieced together uh, what's going to happen because I think it's already been mentioned that at the age of 72, uh, after they've cycled back and 
chosen a profession or been drafted into a profession within the community. Uh, when they reach the age of 72, they basically, you know, they kill themselves. They commit voluntary suicide in lieu of, you know, aging and, you know, dying a slow and painful death. That's And this is a perfect example where he tells them that. Like, they, they ask what happens at 72, and he does the little, like, yeah. slit your throat moment, but everyone in the theater and everyone who has experienced this as a character goes, <laughs> Clep, witty, witty Pell. <laughs> yeah, and, and if anything, maybe thinking, like, Oh, is this like a like a Logan's Run thing? Like, do does the community kill off these people when they reach this age? Is it like an open hunt? Is that what we're about to head to? Like, you know, it could be anything. And I love the because it keeps you off kilter enough, and the way it doles out information. I never felt like I never felt like this movie has a twist. Really, it just goes where it's going. But on your first viewing. The possibilities are endless at several different points. And my mind personally was on fire with like, oh, I think it's headed this way. And then when it shifted away from that, I was just completely blown away. Anyways, I keep talking around it. We get to the sacrifice. Again, gorgeous staging. We're outside. This is extremely brightly lit. We see the slow march of the elders up the top of this mountain. And, you know, you, you kind of know where this is headed. And we see the first one uh, go down and, and, and leap off. And immediately, uh, my theater's losing their shit, just as the, uh, I, I don't know if they were Brits, I don't know if it specified where they were from, but some of the other outsiders who are like peripheral characters are losing it, a, a couple. And the guy's just like, well, how are you guys just standing around here? You're letting this happen, et cetera, et cetera. And then the second one happens. And I should mention that this is one of the most graphic things I've seen in a movie. I want to say in a long time, but really just since Mandy, since Mandy last year. <laughs> uh, but he def- for me personally, he outdoes his, uh, his hereditary uh, stuff. And I don't in know if that's true. Sequence. I thought that's. That head sequence probably uh, in Hereditary still is, you know, haunts me. Granted, um, I, I would almost recently, but. and I would almost argue that like you in most situations, you get this moment where right before the moment of impact, it really cuts to Florence Pugh, who is uh, just a godsend in this movie, just absolutely phenomenal. Yes, we haven't really um, talked about the cast at all, but she was a revelation for me because I don't think I've seen her in anything. I've heard, I've been hearing the name for like the last two or three years. Well, she um, was in Fighting With My Family, which was not really like a serious movie, uh, and that that's probably unfair well, to the say. The big right? one for, for you like, and me, which I don't think you've gotten to yet, would be Little Drummer Girl, which was Park Chan-wook's uh, limited series that she was the lead in, which also features Michael Shannon, another favorite of ours. What have I been doing with my life? Yeah. Um, and you and I were talking briefly before we started recording and I was like, dude, you know, post stranger things three and big little lies is about to end on Sunday. I don't know what to watch next because I'm almost overwhelmed with the amount of stuff I should be catching up on or blah, blah, blah. I just answered it for myself. I'm I'm starting little drummer girl, like immediately. (laughs) Uh, gotta start that. What is, (laughs) what is this? Yeah. Why have I not heard of this, and where is yeah, it? Yeah, no, because she, she completely blew me away. I've, I've seen Will Poulter in a handful of things, and he, I thought, killed it in this movie as the requisite douche of the group. you got to have 
one guy in the scenario who just says the wrong thing at the exact wrong time repeatedly, um, just constant foot and mouth disease. And you, but at the same time, he's kind of your main source of comic relief outside of the sheer, like what the fuck moments, which I get a, a giddy thrill out of where some people are probably laughing for the wrong reasons. I'm like laughing for what I assume are the right reasons. Uh, yeah, well, there are so many moments in this that are genuinely funny throughout the movie. Absolutely. Like you get, I love that line where he's like, "Are we just going to ignore the bear here?" <laughs> the mm-hmm. guy's like, "There's a bear." It's just, yeah, it's like, just a bear. Like that was it. Yeah. Um, and I I love those moments, and there are there are genuinely funny moments, and I think that um in an interview I watched with Ari Aster, he was like, "No, I'm glad that some people find this funny because I think that some of this stuff is funny." I mean, um, I think again to go back to it yet again, Hereditary has a lot of moments of just brilliant black comedy. Like it's not, it's not as ever present as it is here. Uh, but it definitely, he, he's remarkable with tone in general. And he's one of those people that, you know, two movies in, and I think he just has a mastery of making you feel the way he wants you to feel. Now that's not always going to connect with some people. Some people are going to take that the wrong way for sure. But I think he's one of those people who has already established himself as like, if you vibe with this guy, you're you're going to be there day one pretty much for anything he's got in the future, regardless of what genre it is, because he's he is a master craftsman. As far as I'm concerned, I can't I can't even imagine what the three hour NC-17 cut of this movie is. But well, and we're, I we're probably going to get to find out because they it's already going to it's already making its way to, I think, Lincoln Theater, uh, which I, I think is just a small indie theater out of New York that's going to be playing it or LA. Interesting. Um, and so that we, you know, my guess is sooner rather than later, we're going to get the director's cut. And well, and my question um, is mainly, yeah, I'm excited about it, whether much material occurs before they get there, or if it's almost a full half hour added to their stay, uh, at the, at the cult resort, if you will, um, at the commune, at the compound. Yeah, uh, I wonder if you see Mark's because, death, Probably yes, in it. That, that's a huge question. I know he's alluded to there being a huge act, like set-piece fight between Danny and Christian. Uh, that he re- that was the main thing that he debated keeping in or losing and ultimately went with taking it out. My question is, I, I think it's totally earns its runtime and is remarkably well-paced and has just one of the great slow burns in recent horror history for me. And I, I think kind of an arguably a new classic. We, we can get into that debate a little bit later. Yeah, but, but I think you're right. I think it earns every minute. So my, my question is, you add a half hour in there, do you lose any of the rhythm of it? Do you, do you lose a little bit of that ratcheting tension? Is there a cool off in that half hour period? I wonder I, how much it ultimately yeah. affects the rhythm of the movie because it... Outside of, uh, I'm going to say like PTA, like some sequences and There Will Be Blood and maybe Phantom Thread, maybe The Master, um, the use of uh, score as a driving element and the and the editing itself giving a natural build and an escalation of things uh, that just, the, you feel like the tension is reaching a, a breaking point and you don't know when it's going to crescendo and then the movie just kind of lives in it for a while which is 
just incredible filmmaking. I, I'm, I'm struggling to f- find like negative things to say because I, I'm over the moon for this movie. Is there anything that you struggled with? Uh, I would say there on were one or two thrust? pacing moments in the third act that are right before the Maypole dance scene that I was like, are we going to get there? Um, maybe a little bit during the final dinner sequence when she's, um, she had just won the May Queen and uh-huh. the the flowers on her head are pulsing and Christian's really figuring things out. I thought maybe that dragged a little bit, but other than that, I thought the pacing was was perfect. Um, and, okay, let's let's transition into talking about Christian for a little bit because the other thing that kind of goes on before the last thrust of the movie is we establish that. One of the girls within the community, who's of appropriate lovemaking age, apparently, uh, has been slipping like love runes, like a potion, essentially, under his bed. And they set it up very early that she's kind of fixated on him. And we also get this get element. a mural. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that too. Uh, but we also get this tension set up between uh, Christian and who... I know Mark, and what is the th- Josh? Josh? Josh. Yes. Yep, Josh. Josh, who is the one who was really gung-ho about doing his research, the- you know, his thesis on this, and has been kind of living and breathing it since they've been there, has been totally about just exploring the culture and, like, kind of just observing and not commenting as much. But Christian reveals, hey, I'm, I'm going to do my thesis on this. And you're like, what? Okay, so they have kind of a tiff over it, and it's it seems to kind of come out of nowhere, but there's this subtle shift in Jack Rayner's performance like into this point where I thought the movie was headed in a completely different trajectory. I thought we were going into kind of inverse Wicker Man territory, where he was being so seduced by the community that he was eventually going to abandon Danny um, right when she maybe needs him most because she's losing it with just the sheer like craziness of what's going on there. I thought that's where we were headed and that she, and that the May Queen was not going to be a good thing and that she would be the sacrifice and he would, you know, embrace this cult and essentially like live there with them. Basically the exact opposite of what ends up happening here. Um, and I, I, I don't know if you, if you got any of that because the, the shift again to, he seemed, you know, very kind of, uh, like in love with the place itself. And it's a very, it's a very subtle shift, but that was the first moment, the conversation with Josh, where it really hit me where I was like, what's going on with him? Like, how does he feel about all this? What, what's the angle? overall how does it relate to their relationship and i i kind of completely misread it which made the ending that much more exciting for me but yeah did did you get any of that personally yeah i don't think you misread it that far i think he really does start to buy into this culture and think that like this could be a thing that he could be into um and you ultimately think that if she would have chosen differently at the end of the movie they both would have lived in that community together for the rest of their lives um Cause like that's the purpose, right? Like bring them in, bring them and make them a part of it. Like uh, if she would have chosen differently, he would have gotten to stay with, uh, I think uh, Maya is her name. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see like when she chooses him, they go through the whole like 
finale of what they're going to do to to Christian. Maya's off on the side of the home crying because she's losing her mate. Um, right through this process, and so I think there was there's an ending somewhere where the two of them are living in this community together. Um, so I think he does start to buy in, and you get this really interesting moment too when um, he's talking to Josh and saying, "I'm going to take all this." As Josh is in the backdrop, uh, backdrop of Josh are all the the images that are t- you know in this home, um, and then the backdrop of Christian is nothing. It's a blank wall behind him. And so I think that kind of gets to this point of like hubris and him kind of being like uh, apathetic about his thesis and being like, yeah, I'm just, you're doing this. I'm going to do it. And Josh is the one who's actually got the knowledge and the passion for it. Yeah. And it's very much an act of convenience. And it's like, as much as he may be buying into it, his intentions aren't really pure. It's more of this crazy thing goes down, the sacrifice that they all witness, and they all kind of have varying reactions to it. But his seems to be, holy shit, this is crazy. Like, this is this is gold, essentially, to just, like, get on the inside of this and talk, you know, get all the details on this place, get the, the elders to let me speak to them, like, on the record, uh, all of that stuff. So Yeah, Josh is enamored by all of this. Like, when he sees it, he knows exactly what it is. It's brutal, He's like he sees the brutality in it, and he respects it. Like this was a choice they make, and this is what they do in this culture. And like it, I'm exactly, an and I gotta, and like, I gotta say, the, the more thing. the more that you learn about the the cult, the less intimidated and scary they seem to me. The more it was just like, and the more you live in it with them, I I, I was almost kind of seduced by them at least to the extent of understanding them or having some sort of empathy of it's like all of these people chose this voluntarily. Now I don't like the aspect of like you bring in outsiders and then maybe you kill them off if they don't want to join you or if they fuck up or if they're just part of the, uh, the quota for the sacrifice for that year. But you know, I'm not, I'm not down with that, but in, in principle, some of the, and the, the commitment to the principles, it, it's, it's kind of admirable in a really weird, fucked up way, admittedly. And when you think about it, the what are people in general are looking for a sense of belonging, and and I think that Ari did a really good job of writing these characters well because you, uh, Danny herself is she is she's got no family. She's yeah, isolated. she's immediately she doesn't feel connected to her boyfriend anymore. Like she can tell she's losing him. She's in the um, worst possible state. She's set adrift by the loss of her parents and her sister. Immediately, and her boyfriend has actively like, ignored those feelings like throughout yes. the entirety of and so she, now she gets these women that when she hurts and when she cries, they are actively hurting and crying. Exactly. With her. They embrace that pain. And that is, I think, one of the key sequences, one of the highlight sequences, and one of consequently the most divisive things in the movie, weirdly enough. Um Half of is my whether audience, whether or not she is losing her mind, or whether no, or not she's not not even that. No, it, I, it. I say divisive in terms of your your possible level of enjoyment. Half of my audience was cackling at this. Um, I don't I don't think that's a crazy reaction to it, but I thought this was one of the most emotionally powerful moments of the movie. And when I, it really kicked in for me, it's like this is this is it. That's it's an echo again of the conversation she already had with Pell. Where it's like, I, you know, I understand you. I can empathize with you. I can just be there for you. And she has all these people around her taking on the same level of emotions, not te- not telling her to, you know, 
feel a different way about it or calm those things or like, oh, it's not appropriate right now or, oh, you're bumming me out or, oh, I want to go hang out with my friends. I don't have time to deal with your shit. They're just there with her in that moment and echoing all of those feelings and just like letting her live in it and like get it out, not not stifling it at all, just letting right. her feel it all, all at once. And that just totally played for me. And <clears throat> oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that part of, of it too is that got, people, people themselves, like people laugh to that. There's, you know, there's a concept called knowing laughter, and I think a lot of times we're taught like, don't, don't share your emotions, hide them. Well, people it, it don't is deal with them. It that's is not extremely uncomfortable, and that's a lot of people's reaction. I understand. It's like nervous laughter. I totally get it. But yeah. But that's, that's but that's that's when the movie was connection. firing on all cylinders for me, and that Absolutely. that epic crying sequence is in the wake of her discovery of uh, Christian. Christian and we we got a drug we, cheating on her. Yeah, we got to talk <laughs> about that scene in an el, in an elder orgy with assistance. Yes, with <laughs> assistance. Um, now that part the, made me laugh because I think that part was genuinely funny. Uh, when when they f- first get down in his face and he has the moment of processing like oh oh this is oh. this is part of it now <laughs> they're all here they're all right next to me and they're well, it's like that's that's a period of adjustment to with begin her. with but then i'm saying when he is you know kind of mid thrust and then the woman like grabs maya's hand and then starts caressing his face and everything the look on jack rayner's face <laughs> priceless like, was perfect though. Like, is that exa- like totally played for me? Not that I can imagine or, or have any realistic uh, point of reference, but I feel like that's the emotion you would experience in that moment. For sure. Um, especially knowing that they've drugged him as well at this point. Um, and then that is that is one moment. of those what the fuck moments where I am just again giddy laughter on my part. Again, where I am like on the movie side for just like you guys went there. Like, dude, you you staged this like. <laughs> You got people, people to commit this. to this. Holy well, shit. And, and here's the thing. If if you don't think that like Ari Aster is going to put something like that on screen after watching the the ending, the final like two yeah, minutes where, of Hereditary. Where do you go like, from, from that finale? Where do you go? You can only try and like incorporate those elements even earlier into your runtime essentially. And I think he does that. More at, naked like, old people. At steady intervals as well. Yes. That'll do it. That'll that will immediately turn an audience one way or the other. <laughs> you and show it does. I think it actually actually some naked does. old people. Yes. I okay. mean, you think about even three hundred. How many people had an uh, adverse reaction to to or not three hundred Watchmen? Um, just because oh, yeah. you get a, a little bit of Doctor Manhattan, they're like, "Oh, this mm-hmm. movie is the worst." And well, like, and really, again, like you can't put up with that. <laughs> like, calm down. And and I. Okay. I'll call him out with love, of course, but um, my buddy, our, our mutual buddy, Teb Niles, uh, saw the movie with his girlfriend, uh, and in the midst of talking about it with them through group chat and everything, he's like, yeah, didn't expect all the dicks, and I, I corrected him quickly because I was like, dude, I mean, if you want to be honest, the ratio was still way off, like way off. You still like saw maybe way more female nudity, penises, and you're complaining yeah. because you saw one penis in a two-hour and thirty-minute movie. Really? Okay. So, yeah, the the double standards are are fascinating to me because, of course, nobody really bats an eye when they see all of these naked women, okay, in their garb, chanting. And as it escalates, as they're essentially like echoing her orgasm as it's happening, 
all of that stuff. People are laughing here and there and everything. But the the temper changes as soon as you see him full frontal. And I don't know why that's still the reaction, but it is. And, of course, when he comes outside and it's, again, stark daylight because the entire movie is stark daylight. And he just kind of looks around him for like, oh, shit, where am I going to run to? Uh incredible stuff again i'm i'm dying laughing on the inside but i don't want to throw that out into the theater because i don't want to contribute and have other people think that i'm one of those assholes laughing for the wrong reasons but anyways yeah, you okay. also get that moment uh, when josh gets hit over the head uh from the dude oh good. yes okay this this was my big question for you okay so earlier on kind of as he's starting to piece things together sort of but in my head, I'm like, is he just getting more seduced by this place? What What is his trajectory right now? But Christian discovers uh, Mark first, who disappeared earlier with, you know, he's been trying to get laid the whole time they've been there. He gets randomly approached by a girl, and he's like, oh, was this the, the moment or whatever? And she calls him away a few scenes later, and then we don't we don't see Mark for a while. And we're, we're wondering what might have happened to him. Eventually... Christian finds him, and this, uh, just wow. Just wow, man. Uh, so, from what I understand, a little bit of background research, I forget what the procedure is called, but this is an old-school, like, sacrifice method where they take your lungs out um, from oh, you're your talking about the You're talking about the blood eagle, the Viking blood eagle? Yes, well, I wanted to start. So that's not Mark, that's Simon. Excuse me, that is Simon. Whose face do we see? We see Mark's face, and so it is Mark's face. Okay. There's a moment earlier on, and this is why the mural at the beginning plays because he's wearing the full hat, right? He's wearing the full hat in the mural, and then at some point you get a throwaway line of like, "Where are the kids?" And the girl that he's flirting with says, "Oh, they're playing skin the fool." Playing skin the fool. Yes. Um, and so like, if you were paying attention, not and again, this is something that you know, you're not saying you're like you're not paying attention if you didn't notice this. It's a minor detail, but they're playing skin the fool, and so you're you start to be like, "All right, that." plays and then you get mark's face on uh after he pees on the elder tree oh yes that's Um, i guess that's really the inciting incident up until that point i mean he's he's in a a nuisance a little bit and he's an annoyance but that is really yeah that's the last straw they are very actually that's the most upset you see any of these people get and it's only like it's off or like yes it's only one um, it, real individual that gets into it with him. But yeah, this is the first time you kind of see that, like, you know, gen- generally merry tone broken from these people. Um, and he tells him, he's like, no, that's like, that's our ancestral tree. Like, that's essentially everybody that's ever been in our community. You just pissed on that. Like, and of course, him just being like, it's just a tree, man. It's a dead tree. Like, not not being apologetic at all, but being like, pissed off that it's like but you guys are stupid because you're the ones who have this belief like it's just a tree to me so what's the big deal uh yeah pretty much seals his fate in that so the guy who's angry at him is he's the one who is wearing his face and knocks josh unconscious in the bible room that was my question because uh josh who has an earlier scene with an elder where he gets to see the book which this one is created by do you have the character's name off the top of your head the uh, inbred individual. Rogan. Rogan. Ronald. Yeah. Hold on, I'll find it. It's um, something like that. 
Um, but, but yeah, continue going. Yes. So he's a product of inbreeding and in their heads, it's like he, you know, perceives the world differently. So he's writing their current iteration of their, they have essentially like a living biblical text, if you will. Uh, so he is responsible for this latest iteration. Josh later sneaks back Ruben. in. Ruben is the character's name. Sorry, the one that writes yes, the Bible. Yes, yes, Ruben, excuse me. Okay, yes. Uh, so, yes, this is Ruben's iteration. So, Josh sneaks in uh, late at night while everybody's asleep uh, to basically photograph as much as he can of the manual. And he gets interrupted by a shadowy figure that we then see is uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre style wearing... Uh, what you explained to me, yes, is uh, Mark's face. But uh, he gets clubbed over the head, and that's that's all we see of that. Very stark, very quick, very terrifying for me personally. Uh, and then we do eventually reveal uh, that he was buried uh, face first and legs up uh, out in their garden. Yep, so he's got a foot out, which uh, points back to the line in the in the movie where he gets mad at Christian for and saying, like, this isn't a hobby of mine. I'm not just dipping my foot in this or dipping my toe in this. Oh, God. Um, yeah. And then you get what Gotta is... Gotta watch uh, it again. So many yeah, nice dude, it, touches. I, th- I think this will reward the rewatch, but... For sure. Um, but, yeah, you're... And there's... Yeah, so his... And his leg's got a, a rune carved into it. Yes. Okay, so... Uh, the friend group has pretty much been cleared out of the way. Christian, uh, you know, sells out his friends about the book because the elders are like, this, you know, this thing we're missing. Do you know anything about it? He immediately disowns these guys that he's, you know, been buddies with for we don't know how many years at this point. Another big sticking point for Danny, who is like very taken back that he would sell his friends down the river so quickly. Yes. And all of it kind of culminates, again, with the the elder orgy and pregnation scene or whatever, which she witnesses after a, a, a gorgeous sequence of her becoming the, the, the May queen. Uh, she danced around the pole. All of a sudden she, she knows their language and she's pretty much completely transformed. We've got colors Very cool swirling shot. all yeah. over the place. Just a, a incredible stuff. Uh, so basically they jug, drug Christian and they let her decide uh, his fate, because she is the May Queen. So they have all of their other sacrifices lined up, uh, and she she basically gives the go-ahead, and it's like, you know, he he pretty much, you know, disregarded you at every turn. His, his heart hasn't been in this for, you know, for, from the beginning of you guys getting there. Like, things were already going bad. And it culminated with him ultimately cheating on you. Moving on to somebody else, okay? And there's the element of, like, was he manipulated into it? I don't know that that's something I guess we could maybe get into. But regardless, she makes that choice. And in that moment, I don't know about you, but I'm 100% on her side. Like, I just, I was. And again, I'm, I'm totally shocked because I thought we were headed towards he's going to betray her and she's going to be the sacrifice. So when we went the other way, I was actually very, very happy because I way more identified with her as a character than pretty much anybody else in this movie. So now yeah, we get I'm to on the same page, but I think that's where the debate comes in is. So was she, she chooses to burn uh, Christian. Mm-hmm. And um, the question is, all right, is she just so drugged up and 
out of her mind at this point and lost it that like she has no recollection of who she is, what she's doing or or what's going on. Yeah. Or is, or is she, is is she, she finally a, home? Correct. Is she making a conscious decision that I'm in the place where I need to be and for me to really purge everything else? I, I've got to let this he, part he's of gotta me die. go. Yeah. yeah. I got to burn it all down essentially. And that's and, exactly. And even Florence Pugh and Ari Aster like have different thoughts on this specific moment of, and, I think and he Jack, is on the side Jack of, Rayner has even further uh, different thoughts apparently where he's like, yeah, I didn't really think people were going to be so excited for me to die. <laughs> Well, I think because he even he's mentioned like yeah, of course, like you empathize with this character and and both Ari Aster, Ari writing this after a breakup uh, that he recently went through when when writing the story, Mm -hmm. you know, said yes, I identify as Danny while writing, and I know that I've been Christian in relationships, and I've been Mark before, and so I think that there's um, there is a truth that like you're not just one character or the other. That there's definitely moments where you have been all of these characters at some point. Absolutely, yeah. Um. And I, yeah, so I think he's more on the side of it. Yeah, she's losing her mind. And I think that Florence kind of was on the side of like, um, no, I think that this was a conscious decision or vice versa, one of the two. I can't, but yeah, I think that's kind of the big debate is what do you think it is? Um, you see a lot of YouTube videos out there that are like, Midsummer ending explained, and I was like, I don't know if you need. There's like an explanation. Yeah, I don't. I don't think like, there's don't a think definitive that, take. It's I very, think it's, it's, it's very how you right in front of you. The movie as a whole, like, yeah, I think clearly, I think its core themes are there. Now, the, as with anything, the devil's in the details. Like, you can take from that a lot of different things, and it's a lot of what you bring to it yourself. And I, th- I think it's probably illuminating for a lot of people um, if they find that they're kind of on the side of Christian early in the movie. And they're like, God, like this would be a really tough situation to be in where it's like, you're kind of like ready to be out of this relationship. But then the person goes through such an extreme tragedy that it's like, how could you, how could you inflict more of that? How could you leave them in the midst of this? Like, what would that say about you as a person? So like, you feel like you're, you're the good guy. Cause you, you're stuck around and like, you're, you're doing the right thing. But in truth, you're, your heart's just not in it. Your emotion's not there. So it's a slow decline until you've pretty much just burned up any, like, emotional juice that you have left to actually, like, get through this relationship. And you pretty much end up at a place of indifference, which I feel like is where he is once we get to, you know, the Midsummer festivities, uh, at least as far as they're concerned. There's... Yeah, and let's just let's just go ahead and say it. They cut open a bear. Yeah, they sure do. They they pull everything out of the bear. They put Christian in the bear suit. He's paralyzed at this point. Cannot talk. I, I love the. Okay, we could go in. I, we will wrap it up soon, and we could go into so much more detail. I would like to do that after I've maybe seen it again. That probably won't be until it hits Blu-ray. But we, we'll talk again. Definitely in October, we will talk more about uh, Midsummer. But well, I we love definitely the have a classic detail. story. I love the detail in that scene, though, of uh, taking the uh, the innards out of the bear. I love the detail that they're teaching the young children how to do it. Like, they're passing on the trade and the craft generationally in the midst of that scene. I just yeah, love that little detail. I loved it. And it goes back to, again, them committing suicide and the entire group of people being like, yep, this is a thing. We know that this is a thing. And, like, the brutality of it. And I think that that's um, whether Ari aster uh meant this or not like you is that a critique on the way that we 
you know, teach our kids these negative aspects of things uh, as as a facts of life, um, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, racism or anything else. And so, you know, and that might be pulling too much of it, but, you know, they are, those kids are in it and they are experiencing it with their parents and they are happy to do it. And you're just looking at them being like, they're putting a man in a bear suit um, after pulling out all their guts to burn him alive. And this is just a yes. matter of fact thing. Yes, and that, again, that's where pacing, editing, all of that comes into play, where the, the march towards this ending, it's like, you you know what's going to happen, and it could have been visually communicated to you in about 30 seconds, but he chooses to communicate it to you in the course of about 15 to 20 minutes instead. You know, there's a, there's a very quick wrap-up version of this movie where it's like, Let's throw him in here, burn him up, Wicker Man style. Done. And Done. it wouldn't have been but nearly as satisfying. Not at all. No, it it just, it's that, you know, march of doom that, like, you know exactly where this head is headed. You can't escape it. And I think that's what leads you into, it gives you the time to kind of actively process as it's happening. How do I feel about this? Am I excited that he's about to get burned alive in a bear suit? Or am I feeling like the majority of viewers uh, probably feel at the end of The Wicker Man uh, when what happens to Captain Howdy happens? Which is just like, I every single time I watch it, I think that's just such a powerful scene with him singing. And like as some people, of course, love it because it's like, oh, yeah, the pagans went over the Christians. Like, fuck, yeah, it's a hoorah moment for them because they literally drown him out. But... I watch that and I see a guy like so committed to his belief structure, like faced with an immovable force and like what that has led him to. And it's like, it's a tragic kind of just like, oh my God kind of moment. This is decidedly not that to me. No, apathy is is what I feel on the face of like. Exactly. She doesn't look, she doesn't look ecstatic. She doesn't look sad. She looks like, I should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> That's the look on her face. Like, and then it's the about enti- fucking time is what yeah, I and, took from it. And the entire village starts to feel the pain of all these people that they've kept alive. Because that's the other kicker. Simon kept alive. Um, mm-hmm. Josh, it's his leg in the garden. He's kept alive. I don't think they kept Mark alive. I think he's dead. Yeah. Um, Colleen, I think, is Simon's girlfriend. I, I, I couldn't put this together if she was alive or not. Is Mark still alive, but with one of those like crazy shrouds over his head? Well, and uh, yeah, like so he's he been very skinned? well could be living still. Yes. I don't know how. Again, but, you know, I gotta watch got all drugs that again. and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and then it they've seems got, like the, the uh, Mayfield, the they've got a lot villagers. of special properties. That's what they've got. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but even the two guys that volunteer to be a part of this. Oh, yeah. Um, Pell's older brother and mm-hmm. uh, the other random guy who really, I think he literally was just featured there at the end. Maybe he has like a little mini arc earlier, but yeah. Um, but they um, they say like we're giving this to dull the pain. And then we very clearly see that they are in pain. Um, oh, yeah. And- no, that it is. Uh, it's very slow movie moving. Very. uh you know, very resigned, and then when he catches flame and starts to react like anybody else would, uh, 
that was such a like shock to the system to literally the sound of it when it starts happening. Uh, but also a moment where I was just like, what, what do I kind of take from that? Like, do you expect them to be stoic and resigned and like so committed to the belief that they like don't even feel it as pain? Is it commenting that like at the end of the day, you burn, you burn. It all feels the same. It doesn't matter what you believed beforehand. Like burning to death is burning to death. Period. Uh, yeah. I d- I didn't know quite what to make of it, but I thought it was a a noted like choice that the that he went out died screaming essentially. That one guy who we haven't been introduced to prior. But yeah, yeah. And it, and then you feel the villagers who are experiencing all that pain as a group because I think that's the other thing that's kind of important is it's it's not like they're doing this and like ha 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 our crops are going to grow it is we're doing exactly. this and yeah. knowing we're going to feel the pain and we're doing it anyways um, which is the creepy thing and about that is that is such a comforting feeling um, when people yeah, are looking you have for this, connection this epic release this moment of like being completely in unison with all of these people around you the sense of community all of that. And experiencing these collective emotions that you work through actively together in this, like, isolated circumstance. And you got to sit there and think, like, it's probably a much healthier way to live than to fucking bottle that shit up for months or years of your life, never properly deal with it, and let it eat you from the inside out. Like, if only you could, like, get get all of that out of you and feel like people are are there for you and feeling the same things at the same time these these people probably live great like day-to-day lives because they seem rather unburdened by these stressors and it's like only when we build to presumably like their seasonal festivals when they know they're going to have to say goodbye to members of their community that's when they have this giant release and then they kind of like settle back down for the rest of the year. At least that's how I kind of imagine life in this place. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's it's just a weird kicker is that like, again, you know, I think that's what makes when you think of villains in other movies or uh, comic book movies or anything else, the villains that you can kind of get on board with and say like, no, I kind of see where they're coming from are some of the most interesting ones to watch. And that's what I don't even know if you can call this village the villains. Um, I, almost, I don't they almost personally. Just exist. I, yeah, they almost just exactly. Exist. They um, it's the key setup is you know the outsiders coming into a culture in a place that they do not understand, and how are you going to navigate it? Some people are going to embrace it. Some people are going to you know be a stick in the mud essentially. Because uh, because here's what I'll say: like the the suicidal moments, the astupa is like that's a th- not in that sense, but like. Suicide by choice is a thing that people do, um, and I don't want to. This is not getting into mental illness or anything else like this, but um, and those people those choose honestly... to not want to live with cancer, right? People choose to. I don't want to experience cancer to its fullest. Like I've lived eighty-five years, I would just like this to be how I go out, right? Um, yes. And so, like in this culture, they're not doing anything different than that. Like this is by choice, and like. Yes, they're scared, and but you know, it's an it's an interesting thing. So like, you can kind of sit there and be like, yeah, I think their life in some aspects is much healthier than my own, and I'm not gonna go uh, burn nine people alive in a in a religious right uh, <laughs> like rune or uh, building. So, um, yeah, but it's super interesting, and I think that that's it's just yeah, yeah. I will. Uh... This one will be rattling around the old noggin for for quite a while. I think 
right now this is my this is my number one movie of 2019 thus far at least that i've seen theatrically uh, yeah i'm right there with you yeah if you want to be you know i could be all cutesy and say too old to die young or maybe the deadwood movie but uh this is this was an experience for sure uh i if if somehow you stuck around with us this long uh i don't know why you did that but if you haven't seen it i encourage you to see it uh if you have seen it, I encourage you to see it again because, like I said, I would like to follow up with on this with you probably in October uh, for some October content here on the movie arc. Uh, Happy to maybe Midsummer revisited. Uh, well, because here's the kicker: like there, everything is uh, almost to an Edgar Wright level uh, of yes, detail the, put into these things. Like every table setting means something. Everything that's on every outfit means something. Um, every mural and picture that is up in like the apartments of these college students before they even go to the festival means something. And so there's there's a whole bunch of stuff to sift through and kind of go through. Um, because like uh, just an example of that is like there is a picture and I can't remember if it's in Danny's room. I think it's in Christian's room over the couch when they're arguing um, of a girl in a flower crown putting her hand on the top of a bear that is kneeling in front of her. Um, mm-hmm. and like, again, that is 10 minutes into the movie and you don't even think that that's the outcome of what actually happens. And so everything's a detail in this and it, yeah, I think yeah. it will clearly reward the rewatch. So yeah, I definitely want to hit it again when we've had even more time to process it. And I, some of the more controversial aspects that we didn't really address that I think maybe we can kind of see how things shake out on them in terms of the overall opinion, but I have seen some criticism of the way that they feel like it deals with mental illness. I feel like any time genre movies in general uh, approach mental illness, they are always kind of, you know, come under fire for it, for good or bad. Uh, I, I personally don't find anything that problematic, but again, I think that's a conversation we could have down the road. And one other one that I randomly read today was the criticism of uh, not hiring a, an actual uh, physically disabled person to portray Reuben. And my immediate thought before I read any of that article, and I, I do plan on reading it to see exactly what the case is, was I would assume that somebody who does have some kind of physical disability like that probably would not want to use their physical disability to portray a character that is identified as a product of incest if that person themselves is not a product of incest. I, I thought that was a really weird angle to like try and come at this movie from. Uh, I, I think I agree. Cause they even say like, yes, they, that is a, our oracles come from pointed moments of incestuous relationships. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that an actor wants yeah. to be like, nope, that's not why I'm like this. And I don't want to be portrayed. Yeah. That I'm like the asking somebody like to like use their disability to be portrayed in that way. Yes. I'm sure you could find somebody who would totally be down for that because they'd be like, they'd get it and they'd be like, it's for the, you know, this project. And I still like that you even thought to ask somebody, but I think it's so much less problematic to just not even have that conversation with what, like, why would you approach somebody to be like, Hey, um, I need somebody to basically play a freak that's a product of incest, um, and you look really weird. So, are you cool with doing that? Like, can we can we film you? I just to put somebody through that conversation seems like a way worse thing than to just cast an able-bodied actor and have them portray a character that is, you know, 
a, a tough sell. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is on that one. I think I think I agree with you. I think that you're right. I think there are probably several actors out there with diverse abilities that would have jumped at the chance. Um, yes. But it's and also like have, it's a it's a okay. to be honest, it's a throwaway character. Like they're in the movie for maybe two minutes, if that. Yes, and to, and um, to be fair, some of the criticism I guess in the article is also just the. And you're once again portraying, like you're using physical disabilities as a, a scare tactic, essentially. Like you want us to be creeped out by that character. And it's like, we shouldn't be creeped out by people's physical disabilities. And it's like, I get it, but that is also just like, that has been a trope of the, that's not even a trope. That is an element of the horror genre going back to literature, which is just like physical deformities and, you know, abnormalities well, that's the that's entire just, cast of freaks right what was I'm that just, 1928 I'm just saying, like, like that, that was yeah, the whole thing it, it seems so weird i mean i know yes this is 2019 but it, it felt so weird to be having that debate so obviously that's something we get more into and i'm sure there will be a lot more conversation about the male female dynamics of this movie and how it functions as a breakup movie and kind of where people fall on it in general. I, I saw some criticism saw... that was like it's a it's it, this is a movie against white males and I was like is it because everybody in this movie is a white male for the most part like yeah, I don't think I don't, that think, that's it's, a I don't think it's inherently reducible to that. I think it is a a little bit of a takedown of a certain um maybe male-centered ego of of a kind um a certain type of element of maybe masculine society if i can sound artsy fartsy a certain element that maybe needs to kind of die i think is a little bit reflected in the christian character and definitely in the mark character as well uh but again these are all things i'm I'm still kind of coming to terms with bottom line the movie knocked me out and gave me a lot to wrestle with uh i loved yes. it no i, I want your 10 page thesis on this movie or 30 page <laughs> yeah i'll get i'll get that right on, over to you on this movie for sure um, and if you could also t- tie it into midsummer festivals in in uh europe that would be great as well i can definitely try and do that okay so if you saw midsummer and you had any thoughts about it uh let us know the archive at gmail.com you can hit us up on instagram at the archive network on twitter at the Arc of E, and you can also search Facebook uh, just for the Arc of E. Uh, where can of, people should we reach check you to see on, if there was any on questions? social media, sir? Yes, while you were giving your social media details, I will check to see if we had any Instagram responses, and then we will wrap this bad boy up. Uh, you can find me on, uh, I normally run the Twitter for the Arc of E, at the Arc of E. You can also find me at Mr. Underscore Sun Underscore Shine on Twitter, and uh, Mayfield J.A on uh, Instagram and happy to let y'all follow me at any of those locations um, and definitely reach out if uh, you want to talk Midsummer because all of my friends hate horror movies uh, except for Noah and so that's very sad <laughs> when it comes to me talking to people I have to wait until our you know uh, yeah. bi-weekly phone calls um, to, to okay so I'm seeing that we do have we have one response uh, from the aforementioned uh, Mr. Tim Niles he wants to know why did they have to kill the bear a part of the Do ritual. Do you have an answer for him? Yeah, it was it was clearly just a part of the ritual. Why a bear? I don't know the sim- the the symbolism specifically behind um, what a bear yeah. stands for in that. Get back to me when you can tell me uh, what that means to Swedish yeah. folklore. But ult- ultimately, uh, it's, it was a bear. Uh, <laughs> uh, just yeah. kind of like the response in the movie. Like, can we talk about why the bear is there? Yeah, it's a bear. <laughs> like they used a bear. I yeah. think that's if why. If we have <laughs> any, uh, if we have any listeners that are based in, you know. Uh, obscure Swedish cults, uh, Scandinavian cults. I, I don't know. Uh, let us know. Uh, hit us up. 
love to talk to you. Don't know if we want to come visit, but we would like to definitely have a conversation. You know, we could do that. Alrighty, hope you enjoyed the episode and that trip down memory lane. Uh, just a reminder, we will be back next week with a brand new episode, the fourth in the Road to Reckoning series, where we will be covering, shockingly, Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol. Uh, so, uh, look forward to that. We'll have Mr. Brendan Riley joining Gavin and myself, and uh, should be quite the fun time. If you had any thoughts on uh, if, if you catch Bo's Afraid or Evil Dead Rise this weekend, you can send your thoughts over to thearchive at gmail.com. We'll be talking about those at some point in the future in some capacity, and would love to hear what you listeners think. Uh, thank you for listening. As always, I have been Noah, and this has been the Arc of E Podcast. <laughs>